0: The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights.
1: Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me once again is amateur painter and decorator James Baggart. James, how are you?
0: I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up, John, because uh, that has been mostly what I've been doing this week. But it's been like some sort of comedy sketch that Batch would have been in one of his like fast plays. Because every time I was at the top of the ladder, put another coat on the ceiling, there'd be like another news story break. So I have to run down, take my painting gear off, sit in front of my computer, write a story about Pendragon, go back downstairs again, <laughs> put my painting gear back on again. Another uh-huh. coat on the ceiling. It's been mad this week absolutely this is what,
1: mad this is what when people say it's tough having it all this is uh exactly what they meant
0: it's exactly what they meant Yeah. did you
1: john. stand in a tray of paint because that's the i
0: didn't i didn't do that thankfully no there wasn't any major disasters um but it did make concentrating on the very very uh intense pendragon stories that will will surely come up to quite difficult this week uh and i have got paint all over my keyboard sorry about that john you'll probably have to get me a new one
1: <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> all right no worries well you know you're... what
0: else i've been battling with this week oh go on so um i have tried to uh get a ev charging point for my house oh so, uh, i have um i've got my next long-term car is going to be a it's going to be an audi um e-tron um which uh is coming in november so i thought i would better plan ahead and get a charging point installed so uh, i've been i'm sorry
1: in advance listeners um for the next six months
0: of what you're going to hear from james about evs we never know it might be it might be all fine and and, and i might have a very happy time with it but uh if this is anything to go by probably not uh so i spoke to PodPoint. they were going to put the uh, charging point into the uh, into my house so i had to fill in this form and show them where i was going to put it on this on the side of the garage um and they sent sent this all off to them. And they sent, sent me an email this week saying, sorry, we can't install a uh, charging point in your house uh, at the moment unless you can prove to us you've got permission. And I'm thinking, permission? Why do I need permission for a charging point? And they said, well, notice your house is listed. Well, yeah, I know my house is listed. Um, they said, well, unfortunately, that means you have to have a uh, full planning application, full oh. planning application for your charging point. And I said, no, that cannot be true. Uh, surely it's just like a light, light outside life. Anyway, I rang the heritage officer at Gospel Borough Council. Funnily enough, we're on first name terms. Um, and uh, <laughs> he said to me, unfortunately, James, yes, you will have to do a full plan application at guess what cost, John? Oh, Five hundred and twenty-six pounds, and that is unless, and and that's that's if I do it myself. If I have to employ an architect to do me drawings of where this electric charging point is going to go on my house, oh um, wonderful! It will cost me even more. So So, uh, hang on,
1: are you going to draw it yourself and submit those? (laughs) Yeah, with
0: a with a crayon, I'm going to draw with a crayon where it's going to go on my house. Well, funnily enough, um, the heritage officer is popping out to see me in about two hours' time because (laughs) he would like to see for himself. Where I'm going to put the charging point on my garage. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. So yes, okay. that's been that's been my stresses this week. Painting uh, and local government bureaucracy.
1: <laughs> oh, such fun.
0: Anyway, how's your week been? You've you've had a quite an adventure, haven't you?
1: I have. I've been to uh, I've been on an EV road trip uh, across, well not really across France, across some of France down to Le Mans to see, uh, not the Le Mans 24 hours, because it's the wrong time of year, Uh, but Nissan's Formula E team are based in Le Mans, or they are at the moment anyway. They're moving apparently. But we went to go and have a a day with them and learn all about Formula E and all this sort of stuff, which I'll admit I don't know anything about. So that was quite informative. I do now. So drove down there in a Nissan Aria, which I'll be honest, I was sort of dreading, not because the Nissan Aria is anything to be dreading, but the fact of an EV road trip across—I don't know how many miles it was—280 miles there, 280 miles back. Was not looking forward to that. Uh, came back through Paris as well. Um, yeah. And do you know? Never
0: gone back through Paris. i never oh, did.
1: No, I had a night in Paris. I drove it through Paris to the Arc de Triomphe, around the Arc de Triomphe three times. Didn't die, so it's all good. Uh, but you know, a surprising thing happened, James. Uh, every charger I plugged into worked.
0: Every single one. Yeah. Is that because none of them were run by BP?
1: I think that might have had an element of, uh, of the truth of it, yeah. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Easy peasy. I've got, like, a card from Octopus, the electricity company. That charge card works on every single thing. Ionity and Shell and whatever else I plugged into. Even the ones in on the street in Paris. The one in the big department store in Paris. All so easy, I could not believe it. I thought was so oh, a dream. It can be done absolutely and no cues for any charges don't understand that either Felt i wonder like a why that is with parallel universe
0: is that because if they didn't work in france they would just be set on fire
1: it, uh, possible i mean well, i they I do like get angry
0: about stuff don't
1: democracy they? in action that is <laughs> You're not condoning that in any BP charge. Oh, of course. Okay, of course. Anyway, um, I'll move us on because I know we've got a lot of of news because while I was away in France driving an electric car, I believe a man in London said something about EVs and now it's all over the news. So I think we'd better actually cover that. But I will introduce our guest. So our guest this week is Phil Jones, COO of eBay Motors Group. Welcome, Phil. Good morning, chaps. How are you doing? Very well. Sorry you had to listen to um, a lot of nonsense about planning applications and it, it saves me reading
2: the daily mail later Oh, <laughs> very true. nice to see you yeah no good 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 see good see yeah it's, it's busy isn't it it's like it's um you sort of come out of the summer where i don't know the summer wasn't quieter and then it's kind of it's just sort of like cranked up a notch it, it's, it's it's kind of like inflation have nothing ever seems to go down in price it just sort of seems to get busier and busier so um, mm. um so yeah so just de- dealing with that really
0: so um, tell tell people listening um, a little bit about how how things have gone from you because you've had, you had a few changes, haven't you recently? So just maybe explain those to people listening.
2: Yeah, well, I mean that that's the hour gone <laughs> <laughs> in terms of that. So so I mean those those who kind of know me will know know my face has kind of been kind of you know sort of hanging around the industry uh, for a while now through Motors. KDK. and you know we're we're on to different ownership again. So at the end of 2021 um we were bought by private equity uh, so a private equity consortium um o3 industries and novum capital who, who acquired us having obviously we were owned by daily mail originally then owned by cox automotive then acquired by ebay ebay had a big global restructure and we kind of ended up in in private equity hands as a result of um um various various things so yeah i'm kind of in the, in the same job but with the with the fifth owner which is pretty pretty impressive it's, it's, pro- it's probably cheaper to, to to just fire me um but it's it's been really exciting and you know I'm really lucky I'm really lucky because I, I love the job I love the industry I love the people we work with uh, you know and, and, and car dealers selling stuff to car dealers is a terrible business model but it's it's great fun and you know because there's always just something going on but you know we've gone from I'd say that like eBay was really exciting in terms of being owned by like kind of a, a tech kind of uh, legend um but it's quite bureaucratic it's big that's what big companies are and so now we're owned by private equity so I kind of feel we've got a bit of our kind of uh, back a bit and you know it's um it's not easy They're de- they're demanding kind of taskmasters but um it's it's been really good fun actually it's really good fun and like you know on a, on a personal level it kind of it rejuvenates you right um, because you know, ultimately, you're still selling like advertising to dealers and talking about kind of traffic going up, traffic going down. But actually, you know, the the business context, I feel that I feel that we've kind of you know got got our boxing gloves on again and kind of a, able to kind of start start making some of the changes we we want to. And you know, reflecting on this, actually, you think about some of the stuff in the news. It's really distracting, and you don't realize it at the time. It's really distracting being bought and sold. I mean, kind of you know without going into the Penn Dragon story too. So, you know, you think about Manchester United, think about the ambiguity that, that's there. Like, if you asked any one of those players, they would say they're not affected by it. But 100% guarantee that, you know, in three or five years time when, you know, when they've kind of finally settled this, they'll reflect on that and realise that actually it, do, it does. It does just kind of make that those small adjustments, whereas actually now, you know, it, it's quite fun being able to kind of plan for next year and really think about that. Um, so, yeah, having, having a lot of fun.
0: So what you've seen um, with in, in the marketplace at the moment, you, you're obviously talking to lots of dealers all the time in, in your business, and what what are they telling you about how it is at that moment out there?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a real mixed bag actually. So there's lots of positives out there. Um in particular will probably have its strongest month this year and probably of the, the last twelve months um, in terms of um, traffic and and, and leads. Um, that's partly a res- result of of investment, but also a sign of that like people are out there looking. Um, if you look at the volume of used car transactions, it's it's generally relatively stable, but when you dive within there, there's actually quite a lot of volatility. So, you know, unsurprisingly, I think it's the cost of living crisis kind of flowing through to to people. So there's some really weird things. I don't think anyone's having a great time of it, but I would say franchise groups or those with younger um, used cars will probably be feeling the pain more than more than others Um, our research kind of shows that consumers as they kind of like no one has more money (laughs) it's got to make that clear and as cars have got more expensive you know new cars and than the used cars and that kind of you know disproportionately goes to the younger cars people don't go right I need to get a smaller car they actually tend to go. I still need this same size of car, and so they compromise on age and mileage, mm. and so that kind of pushes them down into kind of you know, sl- slightly older cars. So again, no one's come to me and said I sell five year old plus cars and I'm having an absolutely brilliant time. But no one said that. But mm. but I've realised in the few people tell me when they're actually having a great time. Um, but likewise, you can see it on the on on the flip side that with with younger cars, you know, there's still supply constraints. Um, consumers are a little bit more nervous. So you have to w- have to work those customers harder to be really sharp on your finance rates. I think the the opportunity for those dealers is talking about the overall value of the deal and and certainty. But it, it's it, it's not easy um, at all. And you know, I, I think you know there's not going to be no influx of used cars coming to the market no. um, in coming years. I think EV is a fascinating topic and used EV has got very little attention, I think in, in terms of the, the, the press, because those prices have, have dropped, which is great from a kind of a, an economy point of view and like trying to converge for the prices. But from a car dealer point of view, when you're trading on a month by month basis, holding stock of EVs has been been pretty terrifying. So um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of quite volatile. In fact, we, we was looking at some stuff earlier this, this week for some, some customers more volatility in response rates than than i've seen i've seen in a while normally everything's kind of like relatively relatively stable but people could have a bad week followed by a really good week um and it, it's 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 yeah it's just it's just just a lot going on there i think
0: yeah i've been uh chatting to a few dealers this week uh for pieces in in the magazine there's a big piece we published today about what they thought about the Twenty thirty ban which we may come on to i'm sure uh but just chatting to them at, for that piece about how how they were performing and, and how the market is in the moment i was just asking them about the 73 rich you know how, how's that going and and a few of them just said to me, it just it makes no difference now. The the red plate changes just don't make any difference because people just don't really understand them anymore. And I just thought that was really interesting because in the past, September's always been big, isn't it? It's always yeah, yeah, been the, yeah. it's always been a, a big month. And I just think that, that there are there are some dealers out there still doing well. Some of those I spoke to said they're having a good time, but some of them said it's really quiet and oh. they're really, really struggling. So I think you you you're absolutely banging on the money there. It is a mixed bag, isn't it? It really is. The ones I'm talking to nobody's saying the same thing. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think yeah, that's a very good very very good point. Very good point.
1: So, yeah.
0: Well, I think we've got quite enough to uh, crack on with John. So maybe we should move on to our stories.
1: I think you might be right there. Uh, So, if you haven't listened before, James and I have chosen our favourite stories from the Car Dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen. And we're going to have a chat about each story as we go through. At the end, Phil gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can uh, X at Car Dealer Mag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. Um, Last week, James was the winner. So, he's going to go
0: first. Excellent. Thank you, John. Uh, For this week's podcast, I've actually made some proper notes. I haven't actually looked at the stories five minutes before we uh, are due to record it. I've actually planned a little, um, and that's because it has been so crazy this week. And I'm going to start with uh, the story that has basically taken up all of my painting time this week, and that is (laughs) news from Pendragon. So deep breath. Uh, Let me start with uh, where it all began, uh, which was on Monday. So we had uh, news on Monday that American giants, Liffia Motors, had offered to buy the uh, Pendragon's car dealership and leasing business ship, leasing businesses. So this isn't like the deals that we've seen in the past with uh, with Headin and others, which we will come on to. Um, this is uh, Lithia just offering to, to buy the assets, which is the dealers, uh, and the leasing business and this is where they've been very clever uh, in structuring this deal so what this means is they've offered 250 million pounds for those assets uh, and they've offered 30 million pounds uh to be invested in pinewood so pinewood will retain uh, pinewood's the dms um software systems i'm sure you know uh, that pendragon owns used by something like thirty thousand dealerships all over the place um That will retain Pendragon's place on the stock market. Bill Berman, current CEO of Pendragon, will stay with Pinewood, um, and those Lithia uh, Lithia will take over the dealerships and and the leasing business if this deal goes through. So the deal is worth uh, roughly the equivalent of 27.4 pence per share. Uh, That equates to 16 and a half pence per share for the motors business. and shareholders will get that as a dividend next year, again, if this goes through. It's important to, important to say that this is still needs shareholder approval. Um, those shareholders will retain 83% of Pinewood. So they'll still own that business that, that remains on the stock market. Um, but um, Pendragon will have sold that, that proportion of shares to Lithia. Lithia and Pendragon are saying they will then push Pinewood into North America, um, and push it into other into other markets and they're hoping to grow that business uh quite exponentially over the over the next uh few years so that is in in short how that how that deal stands they've got irrevocable undertakings from 26 and a half percent of the shareholders uh including the board of management and importantly with this deal it needs just 51% of them to approve it now that is Key because, as you know, Hedin is the group's largest shareholder, the Swedish firm that made their own bid for Pendragon at the back end of last year and said at the time they would block any other rival bids. They blocked Lithia in the summer of last year um, because they own 26 percent and they would have been able to do this again if it was a 75 percent shareholder agreement needed to push this deal through. As you know, as I've said, 51% of it, because it's an asset sale, very different to an actual full sale of the company. What they've also done cleverly as part of this deal is they've parked that litigation, uh, which we reported on at the start of the year, that Pinewood's Pinewood's facing. Uh, They're they're facing a fight in the high court. Uh, They've moved to set that aside um, in the summer, but it still hasn't been decided upon. Uh, But it's like a 200, 300 million pound claim resides with 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 pinewood and that will stay with pinewood it won't be anything to do with those pendragon dealerships because they're just selling the assets so cleverly lithia are taking that away that's not going to be a problem that stays with that stays with pinewood and becomes bill's headache with it being on (laughs) on the stock market so as it stood that is that's what it looked like uh we we delved into this over the next couple of days um there were a few pieces that came out of it i mean firstly we looked into The detail of Lithia Motors. I mean, they are the biggest car dealer group in America. Huge business. Um, They're hoping to turn their annual revenues, which currently stands at twenty eight billion dollars to between 55 billion and 60 billion by 2025 just two years away and they want to do that via acquisition so we always said that lithia wanted to buy big in the uk we knew they were looking at pendragon there was a lot of rumors that they were looking at the lookers deal as that was going through very quickly they've moved back to pendragon and clearly shaped a nice deal off the back of it lithia owns 291 dealerships in in the united states they obviously bought jardine here Mm. at the start of, what uh, in March of this year for 300 million so it actually makes that 250 million deal for Penduranga look very cheap indeed um, and they're looking to grow, they are a very, very big business. So Let me just talk you through some of the other things that have just happened this week, John, on this one, because I'd like to sort of wrap it all up. Um, Yes. There was a question as to firstly, who was going to run this new business for Lithia in the UK? Because this is a big, big um, group. It's going to become the second biggest dealer group in the UK behind Sittner on revenue and on profit as we rank them in the cardia top 100 hundred, would be third so I mean very... I,
1: I can think of some people who are free James I don't know about you
0: well yeah I can think of uh yeah a couple of who are free and and I'm sure they were probably interested in in, in very interested in how this one was going to was going to pan out so we asked the question we obviously asked the question um who, who's going to run it um in the piece that I wrote uh, a Q&A about everything about this deal I put a line in there that said It's not yet confirmed who's going to run the deal, who's going to, sorry, who's going to run the enlarged, run the enlarged business. Um, Very quickly, I had a, soon after we published that, I had a phone call from their PR agency saying, we can confirm it's Neil Williamson, who's the uh, UK regional director for Lithia running, he was the CEO of of, of Jardine uh now they've been taken over his run lift here and they wanted to point out that it's going to be him who's going to be running the larger business so slamming the door shut on other opportunities for other people there um so that came as a bit of a, a bit of a surprise to some um it's a very big role for r- very big role for Neil uh very different to what he was running before he's he's previously ran SEA, SEA in the UK um he spoke to us didn't he and, hmm. in Automotive Influencers a few years back Uh, But he's been in that um, Jardine role for some time. So there'll be a lot of people watching that. That's a big, big role for him. A big thing to take on, especially when integrating those two businesses. So as all this was playing out, a few other things were happening. Uh, We looked into the fact that there needed to be, the manufacturers need to sign this off. Lithia have put in a a, um, break clause in this deal that if they don't get 70% of the manufacturers back in it, they can walk away. obviously wanted to protect the, the investment they're making. So on so we ran that story this week too. And then out of nowhere, um, I say mm. out of nowhere, people obviously knew that heading were going to be annoyed about this. I mean, they tried to make their own bid. They said they were going to block others. Um this deal had been very carefully structured to sideline them. They team up team up with Penske Automotive, the owners of Sitna, mm. to to launch their own bid for the business. So that came out late on wednesday i think it was uh during my fifth coat on the ceiling um and they said um they said they had made an offer um and this was an announcement made by pendragon um there was an offer made for 28 pence per share so just remember that Lithia one's worth 27.4 pence so this is a little bit more um but pendragon said they knocked it back they called it an unsolicited bid to buy the business um Surprising that Head in and, and and Penske had teamed up. Nobody knows why and how that was going to work. I think everybody was scratching their heads at that one because nobody expected it to happen. But the Penbragan board said they um, they'd knocked it back because they think it undervalued the company. I well, like, There's me scratching not- my head thinking, hang on a minute, they offered a, they've offered you more, but. Um, I'm not an accountant. Um, but as part of um, as part of that, they said it was, uh, Pendragon said it was an unsolicited and preliminary bid that was subject to a number of conditions, including the completion of due diligence and external financing. So and I think that last bit is the bit that worried them. Lithia have got huge bank balance. They're making over a billion dollars profit every year. So they've clearly got a lot of money that they can just go out and spend. I mean they they've said in that announcement the 250 million pounds they're paying for Pendragon is going to wipe out all the debt um and is being made in cash. Nice if you've got the money to do it. Um, so clearly the clearly this heading and um and Penske deal, Penske very, very uh successful business, but clearly there was some financing issues there. So that's been knocked back. As it stands, the Lithia deal goes forward to a shareholder meeting and 51 percent of them need to vote for the approval if it happens it could go through as soon as the second quarter of this year or more likely first quarter of next year so yes sorry that's been a bit of a monologue and it has given me a bit of a headache but yes it's been quite a quite a story this week
1: well that was a very informative roundup of events thank you james you're welcome it's yeah. like
0: I wrote the stories, isn't it?
1: It is like you wrote the stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was very interesting. I'm I'm glad to have had your roundup of it because, uh, as I said to you five minutes before this started, I don't I couldn't quite catch up
0: having not been here. Of what on earth? Because gone. you were too busy eating baguettes and croissants and yeah, and snails, drive, drive, et Driving electric cars. Well, were, yeah, you mean, were you surprised when this um when this happened? Like, were you surprised that? lithia have made this offer what what were your what were your thoughts on
1: i not hugely because as we say um as we have said multiple times on this podcast before uk automotive seems to be the easy pickings for these enormous american dealer groups or enormous dealer groups from wherever in the world we seem to be quite undervalued don't we as a as an industry um so i mean i'm i'm not aware of lithia that intensely obviously i've heard of penske because of sitting and so on so i'm not i'm not surprised really that that's the situation i'm yeah i'm i'm slightly surprised at this rival bid um but i mean where do you think this is going to play out next do you think that well will...
0: i the, the thing that concerns me about all of this is i i actually think this this bid is undervalued too like mm. if you can comp- you only have to as compare- like you say compared to jardine to jardine 300 million pounds for 50 dealerships and they're getting 160 um with with the pendragon deal and they've got a successful leasing business that makes decent profit so i mean even if you uh, i spoke to some experts this week one of them said that's probably worth 100 million on its own so and pendragon are going to have cash in the bank so they'll get the cash as part of this deal as well call that 50 million um yeah, they they're actually getting this this um the the dealership business for an absolute song really um and I'm surprised I'm surprised the shareholders uh, the the ones that have backed it have backed it I don't think it's a done deal to be honest with you I think there might be some people who think no we're selling this too cheaply
1: I know and I think I think the pinewood element does complicate things massively so I mean if, I think if it wasn't for this lawsuit perhaps that would make things a lot neater and tidier i i have some questions as to the annexing off of it when there's an active lawsuit going on but anyway i'm not quite sure how these things well work. i mean
0: there's i'm sure the americans have got some very very competent lawyers
1: well it's an it's a lawsuit in america i thought it was it was an american or is it a lawsuit in the uk but it's it's no it's with an american uh far
0: eastern far eastern it's um, far it eastern? A, oh, right yeah it was it was in Japan and um, and markets there where they tried to launch the Pinewood business and there was right. it led led to complications um Phil what what did you think to all this I mean it's been quite hard to keep up with it
2: I mean yeah back to my football analogy it's like it's like transfer <laughs> deadline day isn't it um so I I, I must admit I've have, I have a lot of affection for the Pendragon business that there are customers for of ours for, for years I've known a lot of the team there and actually you know I've worked with lots of people who have worked at Pendragon. Like they've got real alumni, alumni kind of through the industry. Um, Like you remember Mark, our old sales director, who was ex-Pendragon. You know, they've played a huge role in the UK automotive sector. Um, But I think it's always been undervalued. I think that car dealerships are quite hard to value anyway, because you know you've got the risk of you know, these kind of relatively short term from an investment point of view, relatively short term franchise agreements, you know, you start every month having sold zero cars and you've got to get yourself to a, to a level as opposed to a software business, you're valuing a software business basically it's recurring revenue and recurring mm. profits. So they are quite hard to value, which is why they often be, end up being valued on the value of the land, you know, and very little kind of goodwill for the, for the actual business itself. But that said, time and time again, these businesses, do deliver and do deliver a, a good job I think actually when I first came into motors around the time of the credit crunch kind of 2008 2009 we were literally worried that Pendragon would fall over you know because it was like highly leveraged and the, the market turned so it has been through those and my sort of observation I think about this walking the dog this morning my observation is that sometimes these automotive groups sort of get too big mm. and The real skill is like how, like normally bigger is better in business normally. But if you think about like the really successful, the really kind of like profitable kind of cutting edge kind of um, automotive retailers, they're often kind of quite family led or like with a very strong leader where they've kind of got an element of control because it is always about day to day profit and trading. And they need that kind of um, sort of psychopathic kind of focus on the business. And that's why you get these big personalities in the industry. It's really hard to create what you do in other businesses where like the the kind of the the business kind of runs itself. Right. And it just needs kind of gentle steering. And um, I think Pendragons has been really, really, really big. I mean, when I look at the the dealer group, I think that's kind of run the most effectively at scale is, is Arnold Clark. Like yeah. that actually seems to have now created a culture where like it's less kind of about kind of um like Eddie at the top banging the drum. The business just is in the DNA and everyone yes, kind of kind of runs definitely. it. And it's a massive, massive sort of generalization. So I think it's really hard. I think I think the Americans will back themselves to go, actually, we can we can shake this up. My personal observation, um Americans think they know how the UK car market works works, but don't. We saw visitors over from the US when we're owned by Cox, and like it seemingly looks exactly the same. They're like, you know, they walked into a, a car dealership. and They're like, where are all the new cars? We're like, well, there's exactly. one Golf, and there's you know, one Looper or whatever. And um, they're like, why aren't they all lined up? And well, they haven't. So if I want to buy that Golf, can I buy that Golf? They're like, no, we can put it on order, and you get it in about three to six months. And they're like, they don't, they don't understand it. So there will be an element of. We think we can kind of do this better. Um, sometimes that helps and you need a little bit of need a little bit of arrogance, but um they're big, complex companies, but again, I do observe that the noise and kind of constant speculation has been affecting these, has been affecting these businesses. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. And actually, like for the businesses' sake, what they probably need is is stability. Some really good people in Pendragon, some amazing kind of locations and some like like some really smart stuff. But you know, I haven't really heard anything particularly multi-year from them in the last couple of years. And I, I say, say that with sympathy because I've been in a similar situation. Um and actually I think, you know, the, the the team there sort of deserve that deserve that certainty. So again, not surprised there there's lots of people floating around it, but yeah, you just kind of want it sort of done now, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, just looking at the combination of Jardine and Pendragon, which I did do as part of this story about the manufacturers, uh, I tallied up their, their what what they're having their portfolio, and they've got they're going to have a very very impressive uh, yeah. lineup: ten Porsche dealers, thirteen Jaguar, nine BMW and Mini, five Aston Martin, two Ferrari. I mean, it's a um, that's a very nice portfolio of brands.
2: Except that in itself adds significant risk to completing the deal right yes. because i mean such a strange industry ours that each of those manufacturers has some sort of veto will have some sort of role to play in in this thing you know you kind of you kind of had to do that sort of bob Geldof thing at lot at, at, at live aid where you have to sort of ring round and kind of make sure oh you know yeah. ferrari and aston martin are in right you know status quo are on so you know so so's <laughs> gonna do it you know you you need a bit of that because again where the profits fall in the group will be will be be quite different so I, I feel i think there's a there's still kind of quite a long way to a long way to go and getting 70 to say 70% kind of um hmm.
0: 70% or that that equates to gross yeah. profit so it's, it's, so it's, i
2: yeah. i think there'll be some smart smaller mid-sized groups who have probably done the maths on which locations might yeah. be coming up Um, Well, I mean, I just
0: personally looking at this, the one I think would be is is the biggest issue is probably those 10 Porsche dealerships. That's 20 percent of Porsche's network in the UK. I can't see a manufacturer being that happy uh, with them holding that amount of um, that amount of brands. It gives them a real. A real sway over over that brand in the UK, I will just leave this, John, though, on one point that one of the uh, one of the dealers that I spoke to uh, where we're having a little bit of a chat about this. Uh, he likened this, uh, this whole saga to two bold men fighting over a <laughs> phone. It was his, uh, was it, it, was his quote. So, uh, we'll leave the Pendragon story on that brilliant, uh, brilliant line. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com saleslink to start unlocking your market insights.
1: Um, So is it my go then? It is at last. Lovely. Okay. well, I am going to start my... God knows how many stories this is going to be. A lot of stories on the same subject. But I'm going to start with a story that we wrote um, on Monday, which is car dealers still don't think the 2030 ban on new petrol and diesel cars will go ahead as planned, new survey. That's aged well, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So 85% of dealers didn't think the ban would go ahead. This is a Close Brothers survey. So... Uh, at the same time we also had a story on the website which was Rishi Sunak saying yes it definitely will go ahead it would be madness to you know do a u-turn on this now fast forward to Wednesday I believe
0: oh no 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 you've you've missed one step John the, oh, the, have I? the transport secretary Mark Harper on Monday telling the SMMT Electrified oh, yes. conference that they were holding firm on the 2030 ban so sorry I just wanted to You're get that step right. in there because clearly very important.
1: You're absolutely right. And the Labour Party have used that clip uh, quite a lot on social media, as you would understand. Um, so this is, of course, the news that the 2030 ban on petrol and diesel will now not be happening. I'm sure most listeners will have heard so much about this already that I almost don't need to recap it, but I'm going to anyway. So of course, we had a 2030 ban on, as it was described, slightly woolly. Um, petrol and diesel cars with no hybrid, significant hybrid range, were going to be banned from 2030. And then from 2035, all internal combustion engine cars were going to be banned, it was going to be fully electric or whatever else technology happens to appear by then, but probably fully electric. Um, there's been a lot of, in the last few months, talk from everyone, including us, about is this achievable? How are we prepared? Arguably, no, we're not. So Rishi Sunak, with an election upcoming, has decided to kick the can down the road and say, no, it won't be 2030, it will now be 2035. So in short, you can now continue to buy a petrol or diesel car until 2035, brand new. Mixed reaction to this. So if I start with the car dealers, so we spoke to Mike Brewer, wheeler dealer first. Um, He is frustrated by it as as everyone is I think he says he predicted several years ago that this was going to happen and it was a deadline we could never meet um, he's an electric car owner he has an electric car, hates it because it can't charge anywhere uh, finds the whole thing incredibly frustrating uh, if we talk to some other dealers Darren Ardron from Perry's he was concerned at the timing of the announcement because OEMs have geared up their business towards this particular deadline uh, carried levels of stock in readiness for it all this sort of stuff. Neil McHugh from Snows, feel sorry for the manufacturers who have worked hard to get used to the twenty thirty deadline, and so on and so on. A few kind of, a few in the opposite direction who are happy with the delay. Um, well, Peter Smythe isn't quite ready to say one way or the other. He's waiting for the dust to settle on this particular thing. Um, I think it's it's probably more those that represent smaller companies like Suzuki. Um, and those that aren't quite ready for electrification so tony denton of bachelors motor group he said <laughs> it's thrown the decision has thrown a spanner in the works but he reckons good old internal combustion as he says it in some guys will be around for a long time if it ever disappears at all and 2030 was never going to be achievable and i couldn't understand why the government could not see that if we then move over to manufacturers again very mixed reaction uh, from manufacturers. So Toyota, I will start with, have welcomed the move because Toyota, despite being an enormous conglomerate of car manufacturing, is not that prepared in terms of electric vehicles. They're particularly not that prepared in terms of electric vehicle manufacture in the UK because, of course, they have the plant in Burniston in Derbyshire that makes the Corolla um, Hybrid. is not really set up for EVs as yet. They have warned previously that's the 2030 ban would effectively unless a lot of help was given they were threatening that the plant would disappear in effect because they're not prepared for that deadline um mini on the other hand says uh that and i quote it's already announced that it will become a purely electric brand from 2030 globally and this will not change so as far as Mini are concerned to quote theresa may nothing has changed nothing has changed similarly Vauxhall and peugeot and so on, Stellantis, that company, they're committed to 100% zero emissions cars from 2030. A lot of their range even goes fully electric before that. So a Fiat, Alfa Romeo, DS, they're all electric by 2027, Vauxhall by 2028. So very, very mixed Mm. picture here. Um, Well, I can see you want to say some words, James, but I'm going
0: to... I do, but I don't want to interrupt you unless you're finished.
1: Well, I, I will give my opinion on this. So I'm sort of um, what I'm trying not to do is contradict myself in previous podcasts where I've Mm. said, no, this is not probably not an achievable uh, goal 2030 at the current way that we're going. We knew this. We know we're not building enough charge points. We know that it's a very difficult deadline to meet for manufacturers. And of course, this is 2030 years ahead of what most other countries are doing. So we were supposed to be leading the way on this, weren't we? But the way that it has been cancelled and kicked down the road like this, rather than addressing the problems head on, that is the disappointment. So what should have happened really is Rishi Sunak should have said, right, we obviously have this massive issue coming up. Shall we deal with it? But instead, he's looking at the next six months and looking at which way the wind is blowing in terms of green issues and ULEZ and all this sort of stuff, and has decided that this might be a bit of a vote winner to kick this proverbial can down the road for five years Mm -hmm. um along with promising not to inflict us with seven bins or tax us on meat or something which as i understand were not actually plans that he was ever going to put in place anyway so uh, it's it's purely a political move isn't it this one which is is disappointing to see politics coming into well i know politics comes into every decision the government makes but it's disappointing to see purely political motives Coming into a decision that affects the whole of the car industry across the UK mm-hmm. and makes life very difficult for anyone, whether it's a manufacturer or a dealer or a consumer trying to work out what their next car is going to be. Can My I have... thoughts on this, I'll just throw out: is and where I've talked for quite a long time now is I don't think, as I've said about the manufacturers saying fundamentally their plans won't change. In a way, is it going to make any difference whatsoever? It's a sort of empty uh promise that he not an empty promise it's an empty decision that he can make which will have almost a bit like saying oh, we won't give you seven bins when we we're never going to give you seven bins anyway it's something he can say that sounds big but actually is that going to affect most manufacturers not necessarily because they've already set themselves up for this deadline well, and the other thing is there's the eu fleet target which as, as i understand we're still a part of by 2030 As I understand it, there should be something like the limit is about we're on about 99 grams of CO2 across the fleet, as in per manufacturer, aren't we, at the minute. By then, it will be about 40 grams. So to achieve that without significant EV presence in a range is going to be impossible unless they want to pay a lot of money in fines or a lot of money to other manufacturers to buy these EV credits. So in short, I don't think it actually changes that much. It just sounds very big.
0: I, and I think I'm going to I'm sort of going to lead this on to my next story, because it, in, in, in answering your story, it's all, it is connected. And that is the news that the car makers still their their 22 percent target for next year of their of their fleet mm-hmm. has to be electric cars. And I spoke to the government this week, spoke to the DFT, and, and they said to us that that isn't changing. Um, even the SMMT didn't know that when I called them that morning, asked them, asked them whether they changed. Um, So we spoke to the DFT and they said it. And actually that morning, uh, the business and trade secretary had been doing the press rounds uh, where where she said that this was going to remain in place. And that is actually probably more important. That ZEV Mm. mandate is probably more important than that deadline, because if they have to still hit 22 percent next year, they're still going to be throwing everything at it because remember they get fined fifteen thousand pounds per car they missed their target by and the dealers that i've spoken to said that is more important than anything else Um, and i think in some ways the government's been quite clever with this because they've grabbed all the headlines by saying we're pushing it back by five years to 2035 but at the same time they haven't really adjusted it at all because they're still saying to these these dealers and manufacturers next year they're going to have to hit these targets so i think it's a. I agree with you. It's a vote winner. Um, uh, I think I've been saying all along that I never thought this was going to happen. Uh, at Car Deal Live this year, we had a panel of car dealers who, and every single one of them, didn't think that we would hit that hit that deadline. And there we are, a few months later, Rishi making that announcement. But it does smack to me that it is a vote winner. Uh, I saw some political commentators o- online saying they think there's a snap election coming, and mm. that's the, re- the reason that they've they've made these these big vote winning statements um is because that's happening um and i think it is being cynical i think that could actually actually Uh, be the case i'll give you give
2: you a kind of a i'm like a a unique insight into this in that like oh yes of uh, course so so was it two only two weeks ago like i mean it's ridiculous right ridiculous kind of um ego flattering got got invited by the house of lords environment and climate change committee to submit evidence so I was just saying to someone actually just for this, like it was really encouraging from a democracy point of view, right. At the time, because there were, we were given questions. I'll be honest with you. Some of the questions were quite basic really in terms of that sort of thing. And we, we provided some initial, um, um, like kind of answers, spoke to a policy, um, consultant on it, got invited to present alongside auto trader, you know, Zipcar, BVLRA, um, And actually I would say that we went from, in an hour's session, went from some fairly broad kind of like um, sort of relatively basic questions to being really specific. And the group was there to think, what policy recommendations can we encourage the government to be thinking about for future? And I was really enthused by this as I kind of, as a citizen, I was really enthused because I could see it working in the, the vast panel of experts and myself to come along and give some views. They've formed they formed a view. And I'll be honest, within about 30, 35 minutes, they probably, you could have asked each of them, and then within four, four or five kind of policies that have probably been consistent on. they looked at VAT on um out-of-home charging. They would have looked at the used car market, which hadn't really been thought about. They would have thought about tax um kind of various tax incentives. Um, so took it really seriously. End of last week, we were asked to provide a written submission. And then the policy experts take all that together with all their other research, the House of Lords kind of committee look at it, they prepare a summary paper and it then goes to government. I'm pretty sure that government hasn't had that summary paper. So kind of my sort of faith in kind of the process being completely derailed because like we've provided quite a lot of like research and insight. And I'm sure, you know, the, the others have as well, because, you know, some smart people there with, a lot, with lots of research and you're absolutely right, John. Like you know, basically, it's massively politicized to try and grab, grab votes, and I think that's the um, like that's the shame of it. And and I'll be honest, with you, I think everyone sees through that mm. because like whether third twenty thirty 2030 or twenty thirty five is the right thing, I I kind of don't really know or smart enough to kind of say. But what people don't want is uncertainty, and if you're a big manufacturer, it takes years to change these like production pipelines. If I was sitting on the board of one of those things. And I was thinking, is there a snap election coming up? I don't think I'd be changing my production plans based on that. And, and as you say, James, actually there are more real deadlines that they're kind of uh, mm. looking looking at today. So I think it's unhelpful, really. And I think actually, just I think most of the public can kind of see that. Um, and so I, th- I think it's a real show. I just think you know it it kind of lacks a bit of ambition. It feels highly politicized. Um, I think most people would view it as a as a step backwards Like if it's difficult to get there there are different things that need to be solved and we kind of call that out in like collectively as a group like, there's a number of things you need to be thinking about um, that they hadn't really thought about um, before such as the used car market right how does new car influence used car and there are no incentives around used EVs and if you're really trying to reduce emissions then actually you should look at the overall motor park not just like, you know, kind of the bourgeois who are able to afford new cars. um So, yeah, no, so it was fascinating, really, because I, I, you asked me a week ago, I went, democracy, really good. You can see how this works, really mm-hmm. infused people. You know, got the Duke of Wellington sat next to the Bishop of Oxford asking me questions, right? So it was, was awe inspiring. And then you're just like, right, oh, no, right, that goes out the window, doesn't it? So, um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, yeah. um, I saw that the um, Baroness Parminter, the chair of that committee, was absolutely furious at the uh, at the decision. Yeah. I uh, issued a, issued a statement saying she was dismayed by the PM's announcement, and this came out like minutes. That's quite minutes. strong
1: in in server, yeah. Uh, still serve of, yeah government t- speak, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Basically, what's the point,
2: right? Yeah, you know, yeah. You, we, you've set a committee. You've built a committee. You've asked this panel of experts to kind of come in. And then you just rode, rode, rode rough shot, over it. So, um, and I think people kind of see through that. And I think you know the great thing about democracy
1: is it, it kind of finds its level. Mm. Um, when when you were giving know, evidence to this, Phil, was there any, was there any kind of bombs you and the panel dropped that um, you know the people on the committee found surprising or were not even aware of? You know, as you say, you started off with a basic question and it got very in yeah. depth. Is so there any, I think that they have the two observations
2: about? I had. Um, um uh, I guess Mark from um and myself kind of went to one is the impact on the used car market. They've never really thought about that. Mm. And in particular with falling EV prices, and so, you know, you've got rising EV new car registrations, but actually we had a period where dealers were trying to do as like try and touch as few used EVs as possible because they were getting burnt on them like every every kind of week the price was was, was dropping saying look, there's actually some really simple incentives you could do there. you know you could be looking at um uh that on the profit you know of, of used TVs, like you need to be thinking about that but actually we then talk it through from like an everyday car buyers perspective and don't just dress this up as a new car thing because i think i had an example like a fiat 500 you know mm. you know petrol 13 grand electric 19 grand you know like just let's just have a bit of a reality check in terms of like how this kind of flows through so that's quite a gap to bridge and so i'll be honest i was quite they were they were definitely sort of enlightened that they'd never really thought about it that way but were really curious they 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 definitely honed in on right this affects the kind of the everyman
0: Hmm. more
2: than kind of like now talk to me about the company car fleet now obviously it plays a role but I feel that I feel actually the manufacturers are doing a good job of driving the um like the new car registration. They'll control that through through production. As John Hanlon said, dealers will sell what is on the shop, on the on the shelf, right? Mm. And if the manufacturers produce EVs, they'll sell EVs and it'll flow through. But then back to the sort of said at the start, you know, the used the used market, if people are not attracted to used EVs, they won't go for them and they'll kind of you know go go into older cars and that sort of stuff and actually if the big uh, overall aim is to reduce emissions you need to be thinking smarter about that because actually really what you could just be doing is just nudging a load of people into older ice cars and holding those for longer um and actually we don't actually really do much of a job in in reducing emissions
0: yeah um john I, i think that sort of was my story that last one so it's back to you in some ways.
1: Okay, yeah, I can do that. Um, So, after that slight headache, I am going to move on to another one, which is we haven't talked about this for a little while. Consumer duty, the FCA's consumer duty. So, uh, this particular story I'm going to talk about is car dealer warning as FCA targets gap insurance that quote doesn't provide fair value, which is of course the whole thing about consumer duty is. Um, a slightly abstract topic, isn't it, consumer duty? But it's, it's is the consumer getting a good deal out of this particular item, whatever it is. So the FCA have told insurance firms they must prove they're offering gap customers fair value. And they've given insurers a three month deadline to prove their case, which is a bit interesting if you're a gap insurance provider. Um, so there's, there's a, a statistic here, which is that go, some gap insurers pay uh no that's not an interesting statistic there's a better statistic which is further down the story which I'll now read which (laughs) is the FCA says that just six percent of the amount customers pay in premiums for policies is eventually paid out you could argue that is also true of all car insurance or any insurance for that matter otherwise the insurance industry would go bust if they were not making a decent profit on insurance that's sort of how insurance works isn't it it's the key word is insurance it's things might happen or they might not happen but you're covered in case Thanks,
0: for
1: that, John. no problem for anyone listening who's worried about insurance there um so this uh, director of insurance at the fca matt brewis said this is an early signal of the work we'll be doing under consumer duty customers should be reassured that we're in their corner undertaking action where we see poor value being provided if the firms are unable to uh, unable to prove they're providing fair value to the customers they should expect further action from the regulator so, quite strong words from the FCA there. So, this...
0: yeah, but I don't. Und- I, I wrote this story and, um, and... well done. Thank you. Because you well, it tell says James here Baxter...
1: additional reporting, PA media. So, I think yeah, it was got... true. Okay. Yeah. I
0: rewrote this story. Um, you can, t- <laughs> you can tell James Baxter was on holiday, can't you? This week, yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the thing, the thing for me that really struck, struck me is the it, what is fair value. Because mm-hmm. gap insurance provides a, it, it does provide a solution to that issue where if your car's written off and you owe more on your finance than the insurance provider pays out mm-hmm. that that covers the gap. And that is a very, very real problem. They're not hugely expensive to buy gap insurance policies. The ones I've certainly been offered in the past haven't been hugely expensive and you can decide to do it, to do it, or you can decide not to do it. So, it is up to the consumers are not forced into taking this. So I think yeah. it's slightly different. I don't really understand what the FCA's problem is with it.
1: I, I, uh, uh, bearing in mind what our audience is here, I can sort of understand having been offered gap in dealerships before and looked at the price of that particular gap policy and thought, okay, that's quite a bit more than I was expecting it to be. So from a perspective of whatever the price is set at, I could almost understand what what the FCA is trying to do here. But the, it's interesting that they haven't really—they're not targeting car dealers as such here. They're targeting the insurance companies themselves. Yes. Um. So I, it comes down to that sort of. It's almost like is it's the margin is where I would I would I sit there and have a problem.
2: Yeah, the, the FCA kind of I really consumer is quite difficult to kind of unpick, but the spirit of it, I absolutely like support
1: Mm. in
2: terms of helping consumers kind of have a fairer kind of understanding, better choice, clearer choice, basically let's avoid another PPI Mm. situation. And I can kind of see it with gap that it has a bit of the PPI about it. You are rarely presented with a range of, a range of gap insurance options. When, yes. you, when, when you're buying it, you're at a point where the FCA might deem you vulnerable, where you're in a situation where you're feeling like more likely to buy it. So I think the bigger point that the FCA is trying to engender, which is going to create challenge for car dealers, is how do you kind of introduce more consumer choice and more consumer education around this? When actually traditionally, like, the dealers have have had a sales process where they've had a preferred paint protection company, had a preferred gap insurance, preferred alloy insurance. And you go through that natural kind of sales process. You know, there are companies you can go and get a warranty with after you've bought the car, but their penetration is much, much lower. And, you know, the FCA will look at the the profitability on these things because that's the sort of, if they're charging too much for it, not paying out kind of regularly enough, it kind of, it kind of Mm -hmm. has that sort of bad smell about it. So I think, if I was a car dealer, you just need to sometimes sit yourself back in the the, the shoes of somebody who doesn't buy a car very often. And how would you feel in that situation and try and be on the front foot and document this stuff and like really challenge yourself and, and document. What are you doing? One of the things we have to do with our FCA reporting is, you know, every month we have to say, here's our policies, but here's what we're doing about it.
0: Hmm. Like
2: really challenge yourself to do that. Cause what the FCA are trying to do is, is a, is a cultural um, change. Um, which is not going to be easy.
1: So these no. things are going to rub, aren't they?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, particularly with car dealers where like they kind of need all these multiple profit opportunities. Not a huge amount of money in the car. There's actually not a huge amount of money in each of these things. So you have to sort of piece them together. So um, but that said, I also believe that if you provide a really good consumer experience, it tends to work
1: work out well for you.
0: Right. Shall I move us on, John?
1: Uh yes, because we are going to run over time, definitely yes, on the podcast. Um, we haven't even mentioned okay. our favourite word yet.
0: I'm no, and I'm not going to mention that one. I'm, I'll let you. I'll leave that one to you because I I thought long and hard about bringing up this story um, because it is a difficult one to talk about. But I think it's important on the podcast that we do tackle the, the the difficult subjects too. And this is this is news that um, very sadly the founder of Trade Price Trade Price Cars, Dan Kirby, uh, tragically died this week at the age of. 37 um and we've paid tribute to him on the on the website we've spoken to lots of his um his, his friends in the motor trade um and on social media there's been a huge outpouring of grief uh at the news uh that dan dan's died um and i just think it's very important to, to mention this i say i mean firstly um dan ran trade price cars um a very um successful business in 2021 it won the uh three awards at the used car awards. Uh it picked up um the best um used car dealership for over a hundred cars. Um it also won the used car sales team of the year and one other one that, that slips my mind now. Um very sadly he uh, he struggled with his with his mental health. Um and that's that's clearly been very, very difficult for him. Um there's been some some lovely comments from from friends. People like like Jamie Capel said he was a very talented and driven individual, motor trader and racing driver. He also had that BTCC racing team. Um, his the co-founder um, of the of business Octane Finance, which he which he launched. Um, sorry, he was a co-founder of that business. One of the spokesmen said that they were deeply saddened um, at, his, at his loss. Um, and said that um, he was always available to anybody he was the first to volunteer his expertise help and guidance and i d- I just wanted to highlight this story because firstly dan was a was a fantastic person he was he spoke to us on on cardio live video um dur- during covid and was very open about about his business um but working in the motor trade and working in any business is very very stressful um and it can be very very tough um and when times are tough and it, and and it is difficult, it's really important that people speak about that to friends and family. Uh, and if they can't speak to friends and family, they there are other services out there um, that can help them, uh, especially people who are suffering with their mental health. And, and charity like our own in automotive industry charity Ben is there for that for that reason. Uh, the organisation runs a special hotline um just for this this very reason uh it can be contacted on 0808 333 uh it's also got an online chat service so for anybody out there they, they don't need to suffer alone um uh, they they don't have to suffer in silence they can speak to someone and if they can't speak to friends if they it is okay to say you're not okay and I, you see that a lot don't you a lot of businesses say that and um uh, you don't have to bottle it up, and people can speak to it. Speak to others, and speak to charities like Ben. So I just wanted to. Uh, it's a very, very sad story, uh, and I know it's. Uh, there's a lot of people in the industry who's very upset about it. But I wanted to pay my own tribute to to Dan. Um, send send a car dealer's thoughts to his 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 friends, his family, his wife, and his two young daughters he leaves behind. Uh, and just say to other people that if they are struggling, speak to someone because they don't have to have to suffer alone.
2: I just want to say, Josie, yeah, that that when that message came through on, on whatsapp um kind of the article yesterday like it stopped me in my tracks so i lost my best friend to to suicide the same age 37 um and so like absolutely and it was actually the day after my friend's birthday which would have been the wednesday so like it really like it stopped me like, like 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 i was hit by a car or something like that and yeah you it's just so important there's only anything people do do like, talking is the most important thing as you say like friends family like advice lines um we, we we've supported some stuff through through menable um and trying to get some some schemes in like that is the only thing it's so so tragic and you know I mean death is anyway but like this has that extra pain because you like to feel that actually there there could have been something you, you know it's not it's not always obvious what's what's going on but it is so 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 important to talk and um, yeah no um I I really hope that you know Dan's family kind of know you know how much people are talking about it and, you know all that goodwill and kind of love that's kind of going around because th- there is always an there is always an option and there you know there's always a a need to talk but um yeah absolutely like just like it it just really like really hit really really hits me
0: yeah. But yeah, sorry, I I just wanted to mention that one, John. I just think it's really important to to, to mention those sort of stories as well. But I'll let you move us on to something else.
1: Okay. Um, I mean, I could end it there, really, because we're over our time. Um, But I will mention briefly our favourite company, which is Kazoo, or your favourite company, James, um, which is they've uh, officially confirmed a restructuring agreement which will, and I quote, materially reduce debt, which... Sounds jolly nice for them, uh, of the particular used car dealer, as we call them. Um, so it's slightly complicated this. So I might just hand it over to you, James, because I don't understand these convertible notes and all this nonsense that goes back and forth. Please I mean, say, You, this you story.
0: think I understand it too? I mean, it's uh it's an incredibly complicated deal. This um, but what basically what's happened is one of their major shareholders um has taken has taken ownership of a, a large portion of the business and absolutely watered down the um, the shares that that are currently in, in circulation it comes as a result of the new york stock exchange writing to kazoo for failing to meet its rules um one of those is the fact that the um, the, the business has to have a market cap um over 50 million dollars for um, consecutive 30 trade day period. And I think that equates to a $1 share price. They need to keep it above that. And obviously they've, they've failed that. Kazoo shares off the back of this news have absolutely tanks. Again, they are now, they've halved in the last five days. They're now down to 55 cents with a market cap of just 21 million, $21 oh, yeah. million. And if you compare that to what they listed at, 7 billion, uh, that's uh, that's quite a drop isn't it so mm-hmm. yes it's a very um it's a very complicated deal this uh it does give kazoo a little bit of a lifeline i think that the big question here is what happens to alex chesterman uh he's he was the founder of that business he's the executive chairman of kazoo currently still involved um and as part of this people don't know whether he's going to step away from the business com- completely um the shareholders um that that are, that are buying this viking capital um will um see the board reduced from eight members to seven six of those board members will be chosen by the owners of those companies convertible notes and one of them will be picked by kazoo's current board so right. read into that what you will but there's there's clearly going to be some some changes. Quite
1: heavily loaded yeah
0: but yes i think you know just another another turn in the kazoo saga um I think, personally, the next thing that will happen to this is the business will be taken private. Uh, it will it'll come off the stock market completely. I think, uh, it, I think it's a
2: real shame for the, you know, it employs a lot of people, a lot of smart people. The consumer proposition's, like, really strong. It's just, it's enveloped, right, with the wrong financing structure and the noise around it, as opposed to kind of the core nuts and bolts of, Buying and selling cars and making it a, a, a nice experience. So um, that's really hard when you're in a business like that, and you know you're trying to make the best decision for like the trading side of the business. Under you know this, you know it's it's like you know buying a house and the mortgage being just way too too much for you to afford. It just causes you to do um, slightly slightly irrational things. So um, I'm still optimistic because I think and I think Kazoo helped the industry kind of make progress in terms of buy online I think it's 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 kind of really been bold with its consumer proposition I think the industry responded actually better than it thought it would have done um to that but I mean I'm an, I'm a glass half full person I think there's a business in it but I do worry about the noise um around it and sometimes the maths
1: just aren't
0: solvable hmm. we wait to see what happens yes well, I think that's become
1: of the entire operation, really. I mean, if, as you say, if Chesterman is not there anymore, that becomes a very different... I mean, it's a very different business to when it started anyway. But,
0: yeah. Well, I'm out of stories, John, as you've quite rightly pointed out. So I think that was our last, was it?
1: It was. Uh, so, Phil, before we ask for your verdict, are there any stories um, you think we've missed? Obviously, we didn't cover uh, James's rival, Rupert Murdoch, standing down... Um <laughs> but oh yeah mentioned it.
2: I I think like all of us, like I only think of succession now. Like yes, exactly. Yeah. I think I think I even picture uh, kind of Brian Cox rather than <laughs> Rupert Murdoch when
1: when kind of people talk about it. Well that's how BBC News described it is the season finale of succession.
2: <laughs> I, really if fun. I'm still working yeah. at ninety one, I've done something very wrong. Like I know he's very rich and very successful, but like yeah, not not no thank you
1: right um well i'm gonna have to ask you then who do you think is the winner uh so favorite story so i would say
2: um if i think about it kazoo is kind of it's always there and present um dan's um dan's story is like the one that kind of like shocked me the most like and really really impacted me um i think that the 2030 thing is tomorrow's chip paper um in all honesty, because um I don't, I sort of don't want to give it the the, the kind of the coverage that that it sort of has. So, and so the one for me, just because I have so much affection for the, for the business over time. And I think it's really, actually, I think it's quite crucial to the automotive industry. For me, it's, it's the Pendragon story, Um, but just, just hoping it gets some resolution soon. Wow. Thank you
0: very much. Well, I will take another win, John. Chalk that one up. A win for James. Thank you.
1: The tide has shifted or the wind has shifted, the tide has turned. I'm mixing my analogies. Okay, well, all that's left for me to say is thank you to Phil for judging today. It's been great to have you on, and we do hope you'll come back again.
0: Thank you, Phil. Nice to see you.
1: This is where you say, yes, I'll come back again, Phil.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think your silence speaks volumes. Absolutely.
2: No, no, great fun. It's good fun. It's good fun. Thank you, chaps. Thank you, chaps.
0: No worries Plain. at all.
1: And thank you as well to James for competing and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. So make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories I mentioned today, click the links in the show notes below or head to cardinamagazine.co.uk where you'll find those and much more news besides. Thanks again and until next time, goodbye.